0: You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. Hey everyone, this is Tony Lopes, host of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. Thank you so much for listening to our show where we try to bring you new stories from entrepreneurs every week on Thursdays, wherever you listen to your podcasts. This week, we interviewed Al Zone, the executive director of the Elmwood Park Zoo. We recorded this episode using Zoom and our Roadcaster to bring you a live shot from the zoo. If you want to watch along while you listen, you can either go to YouTube and search for Self-Made Strategies Strategies and look for episode 71, or you can go into the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast, copy that YouTube link, and go ahead over to YouTube and watch. Please hit subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast and on our YouTube channel as we'll try to bring you new videos week to week with our podcast guests. Thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to a great year. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. I am your host, Tony Lopes, and with us today is Al Zone, the executive director of the Elmwood Park Zoo. Al, how's it going? Good morning. It's going great. It's going wonderful. Good morning. Yeah, and if uh, for those of you who are watching this on on YouTube, you can see in the background, Al actually is coming to, we're recording this using Zoom and Al is coming to us from the zoo because obviously you have to be there even despite the uh, quarantine and the stay at home order. Can't have a a bunch of hungry animals (laughs) alone.
1: I'll tell you what, it's a great office (laughs) to come to every day though.
0: Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. And so Al is coming to us. He's got three giraffes in the background. Remind me of their names. It's Gerald and and what are the other two? So
1: Gerald's the guy here in the middle. Theruba, uh is over here, and Makolo. Makolo is actually our youngest one here. Uh, Gerald's our oldest, uh, and then Thubo on the end here. It's
0: kind of super cool. In. Super, super cool. I'm, I'm very entertained. I hope that people uh, head over to our YouTube channel and check this out because it's super cool. To, you are the first. they are the first three giraffes on my podcast.
1: <laughs> hey, there's always a first, right?:
0: <laughs> Exactly. Always exactly. Be a first. Awesome. So, Al, how? First of all, you know, obviously, you're the executive director and the CEO of the Elmwood Park Zoo. But your career started further back. Let's say going as far back as 2001 when you started your own entertainment and catering business. Is that correct? Tell us how you got yeah, into so the catering I, world.
1: I've been in the food. I've been in the food service and the service industry for a long time. Uh, I actually uh, moved over to Jeffersonville Golf Club in 2000. Uh, prior to that, I dabbled in some football, uh, did some traveling, um, and then every time I would come home from all that through college and everything, I would work in the in the food service industry. So I had a lot of love of in the industry. I went to school for hospitality industry and operations. Um, mm-hmm. Went to culinary institute to to make sure that when I started my catering company, that um, my chefs wouldn't take advantage of me and stuff like that. Wanted to know a little <laughs> bit about everything. Um, so yeah, so the, the company started mostly uh two thousand.
0: Started Very in cool. food service. Very cool. And then your your dad, I was reading in the Montgomery News article that was done about you back in twenty twelve. Your dad eventually leaves his his gig and joins you at the catering business to help you run it, correct?
1: Yeah, so in two thousand and eight, when the economy started to get bad, um, we started to branch out. We started to do a food contract here at the zoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also took over a hospice uh in uh in East Falls, uh, which was ran by the VNA, the Visiting Nurse Association of Greater Philadelphia, and then on top of that, we had a uh, a cafe in Yellow Book, the people that made the phone book uh, over there in King of Prussia off of Renaissance Boulevard. So the right. bigger we expanded, the the more eyes I needed on things. So my father was an engineer, uh, worked at Mercy Health Systems for oh gosh over forty years. So we wow. brought we brought him on board over here, and he's been with us ever since. We sent him to culinary school. Uh, he's done a great job and has done a great job really keeping an eye on the kitchen.
0: Wow. So your dad leaves the Mercy Health System and after a 40-year career decides to go yep. into the catering business with his son and you send him to culinary school thereafter.
1: Yeah, I think it was important growing up as a kid. You know, he, he really didn't touch the kitchen. It was all my mom's uh, area of concentration. <laughs> so he stayed away from it. So I needed him to understand. it. Um, we have We have chefs that work in the company now. Um, but I needed him to understand it so he could, you know, do the ordering and stuff like that. And he's done an amazing job.
0: That's awesome. Really, really cool that, that your dad, after that long of a career, decides to go back. Not only has the, the, the sort of, you know, openness to, uh, to that growth mindset to go out and, and learn new skills in the culinary world, but then to join his son's catering business to help you keep that afloat during the uh, recession is pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, it was great. You know, we we really expanded nicely, Uh, and then when things started to ramp back up, uh, we were kind of ahead of the catering game, which was nice, and it it became really easy from that point. It's not always easy, but it it was a little bit smoother sailing at that point.
0: Very, very cool. So, this kind of leads into your whole method of operation, right? Because you're a firm believer that when you don't understand something, this is quoted in that Montgomery News article about you in 2012, that when you don't understand something, you believe that you need to go out and learn as much as you can about it so that you can operate the business and make sure that you're not getting taken advantage of, but also so that you can operate it on an efficient level, right? Yeah,
1: 100%. You know, uh, I, I talked a little bit there about being uh, having football as uh, mm-hmm. part of my previous life. I'm a big believer in the team mentality. Um, I'm a student of the game. You know, I was never the biggest, strongest, fastest guy on the field, but I knew my opponents better than anybody, and I I think it's important. You know, I I joke a lot and say I owned a golf course for 11 years and never played 18-hole (laughs) to golf in my life. Um, But I could talk the game better than anybody in it. Um, it, It's what kind of brought me here to the zoo. So I'm born and raised in Norristown, and uh, Mm -hmm. Norristown has this amazing zoo, the Elmwood Park Zoo. They're nine be five years old the zoo's 95 years old it used to be north and south american animals only it's real small real rinky dink uh more of a petting zoo i remember driving on 76 to cater a job on the roof of the free library and uh i heard on kyw and at the time you listen to kyw when you're in traffic and i wanted to see when the traffic was going to lift um so i'm listening to it and their ceo september 10th their CEO came on the radio and said that they were going to close the zoo at the end of 2011 due to financial problems, literally called my father the next day. And I told him, pop, we're going to go talk to the zoo folks. we got to figure something out. So, um, I came in as a business advisory member here,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and then pro bono and then an interim director pro bono as well. Um, and it wasn't until November uh, of that year that the director and CEO did resign. Um, Great guy, uh, Bill Constant did a lot of work in conservation. But you got to really look at this as a business. Uh, even though we're a nonprofit, we really had to take a look at it as a business. I knew nothing about animals, nothing. Um, and, you know, as much as you fall in love with these guys, I, I'm a zoo guy now. I wasn't a zoo guy when I came in, but I knew right. how important this zoo was for this town, for Town as well as for the community. So, um, yes, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in knowing what it takes to, to get the job done, whether it's a golf course or running a zoo, I use a lot of what I learned in the background of uh, business and, and management and football. To, uh, take it, you know, take it to work every day with me.
0: That's amazing! And what a really cool give story. These guys some I, lettuce or they'll get Yeah, everybody. go for it. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, they're they're standing there waiting for their treats, right? They're sitting here. What are we doing here? He's not giving they us. They eat any about lettuce.
1: 175 pounds of this a day each draft. Oh. 175, £175 pounds,
0: pounds of lettuce a day. A day. It's unbelievable. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. That is a lot of lettuce. That's yeah. amazing. Um, so that's really interesting. And that's one of the things that I find so unique about you is that you, you, a, first of all, it's kind of that triple bottom line concept. You got into the zoo to begin with because you were already working with them as a catering and entertainment organization, catering a lot of their events, correct?
1: Yes. Yeah, so they didn't have a banquet facility here at the time. We ran a little snack bar off for them. Um, and, you know, our numbers continued to climb when the zoo's numbers were declining. And it was right. because we were doing a lot of things right, you know. The zoo had about 114,000 visitors in 2011, uh, brought in about $1.9 million in revenue, was spending about $2.5 million a year in expenses. So they were upside down for a little while there. Um, it cost a lot to feed these guys. Now, they didn't have giraffe back then. Um, one of the first things, I think, to know a business is you have to know your consumer. Uh, so when I first got here, I did a survey with the Monco Community College up the street, Montgomery County Community College. I wanted to find out who our consumers were that were walking through the gates. Uh, and it really was a, a group of consumers, mostly mothers with their kids, young kids, newborn to about maybe six or seven years of age, and then they were looking for the bigger zoo. So one of the things I wanted to do was expand on the, uh, on the demographic. Uh, we mm-hmm. were, again, North and South American animals, nothing real flashy at the time we did have an awesome Eagle exhibit. It's the largest open air bald Eagle exhibit in the country. uh, And I'll talk about that in a minute too. It's uh, sponsored by the Philadelphia Eagles and Chapman auto group. Uh, We are the official live mascot. We go to every Eagles game. So, um, you know, trying to change the demographic, get new people into the zoo. We have a zip line course uh, here at the zoo. Now that wasn't here before, but really changing. Like when we brought these guys in, the whole idea for them is they're the tallest land mammal. And, you know, Elmwood, again, North and South American, these guys being from Africa. So it was to help us stretch around the world was the marketing campaign for it. And it really started a new, a new angle for us. Just creating the draft feeding experience that opened in 20, at the end of 2012 as a rented exhibit, we brought these guys in from a safari in Ohio that they were already at a zoo. So I, I want to point out, because everybody's uh, stuck at home and sheltering in place, Right now, um, everybody's watching Tiger King, everybody. We are AZA accredited, <laughs> which is the highest level of standard for animal care, um, for species survival, for conservation. We don't have no Tiger Kings running around this facility. It's all about these guys and how we can better the the environment that they live in, how we can better educate people on them and why they're important. So the AZA, the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, is, is what makes this attractive. You know, I wouldn't tell a business at all to partner with a zoo unless they were AZA accredited. Uh, you want that level of standard. You want to make sure that's what's happening with the animals are for the best of these animals, as well as education, not used for marketing and, and all this other stuff. And it's important to say that, especially when I say that we're the official mascot for the Philadelphia Eagles. It allowed mm-hmm. us to change our demographic. It gets us in front of 70,000 people a week when they're playing at home. It gets us on their sideline. It gets us going to donor events and different things, which turns on a whole different level of, uh, of donors to the zoo. So changing that demographic, knowing our consumers, is what took us to a new level. I talked about 2011 numbers. We finished last season a little over 600,000 visitors. The year before that, we had almost 700,000 visitors. So our numbers have grown astronomically, and it's because you need to know your consumer. You need to know your product. So that's how we've been successful here at the Zoo.
0: That's awesome. And it's that sort of business focused approach that I think that you brought to the table that's really changed the image and the the outreach of the zoo to begin with, right? Because when you came in as you said the zoo was in the red. What were some of the things that you did right away? I know you added sure. you, you created the the this brand of the zoo becoming an event space. I My wife yeah. is in the bridal industry and she has a ton of brides that get married at the Elmwood Park Zoo and they rave about it. So you've really created yeah. this amazing branding yeah, Terry, concept.
1: That's a great, that's a great question. You know, if it works for Disney, it works for me is the way I look at it. Um, you know, one thing that's awesome about the AZA, is they have this network of directors, all the directors across the AZA. There's about 230 of us. And we have this director listserv where I can literally type in an email and I can get the director and CEO of the San Diego Zoo to respond to it, which is great. A network like that of people that believe in the same causes and mission are great. We say all the time that, you know, we're 95 years old. We're not as old as the oldest zoo in the nation, which is 20 minutes down the road from us, uh, the Philadelphia Zoo. But we Mm -hmm. have the same mission. The same goals with education and and, and species survival and and um, you know making sure that these guys are safe. So what's important about that is what are we what can we do to make us different? I am definitely a risk taker. Uh, I, I talk a lot to the uh, to the staff here. When I first got here, the staff was terrified. Uh, they thought an entertainment guy was coming in. They didn't know what to expect. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the first things we did was bring in the Philly fanatic. You know, wasn't wasn't much. You know. And my whole angle was, let me get them there, and then we can educate them. We don't bring them here for reasons outside much of our mission. But, again, we'll do different events here. And then once we get them here, we can educate them. So one of the first things we did was we brought in the draft exhibit. And it was a traveling exhibit. Again, it came; it was here from Memorial Day to Labor Day. It spiked our attendance by 300,000 almost instantly. Wow. Um, But it was a big risk. I had to put my salary on the line for it because we were at a time where the zoo was failing. We had to wean right. out a lot of things, too. We really, I'm a big believer, and again, in knowing your business, knowing your consumer, knowing the complete operations. I'm a big operations guy. So I spent a lot of time watching the employees in the zoo and seeing what they do and, and, and you know, how they do their job. We caught a lot of misalignments of funds and different things. So we, we really cleaned a lot of house. And we got a lot of motivated people in here. You know, one of the cool things we do with our staff is when I first started in the animal world, and this is for almost every zoo. In the animal world, you'll hear a lot that I care a lot for the animals. I don't care for the people. It's why I work for the animals. Well, without the people, you can't feed these guys. Without the people, you can't do it. So, really getting our staff to be uh, to do orientations to really get in front. Of our, of our consumer, knowing how the guest service works. We have an awesome team of leadership here, um, all the way down from our vets, our educators, our director of operations. We have employees that have been here for over 16 years um, and have really caught up and did well with it. So making changes, knowing the consumer, I think is important. We added the zipline course. Again, another way to change the demographic, allowing uh, adults and teenagers to zip over the bison exhibit or zip, zip over the elk exhibit changing that scope of what you get normally so when you when you surveyed the zoo here we were probably about an hour experience we're now a three hour to four hour experience so now guests are staying here longer they're spending more money we have our own beer we were the first zoo in pennsylvania to get a liquor license wow so we have a full liquor license here where we have our own beer that's brewed from workhorse brewery and it's it's a tall blonde owl and a bison brown owl All the grain used to make the beer, we feed out to all the hoofstock, so it's got a great conservation mission. It's sold in some uh, some local um, grocery stores and and breweries and stuff like that. So it's just it's been awesome. But thinking outside the box is what made us different. You know, that's that's talking a lot about the beginning. And I I know I have a a lot to say, but I want to point out um, when you when we really pull in our team of leadership, really find out. For me, I'm spending a lot of time trying to motivate but looking at numbers and moving things around. So every week we meet, even separately now during uh, this COVID-19, but we we meet with these leaderships. And I want to hear what's inside their minds in order to make us better. I used to say to my curator a long time ago, Dave Wood, who has passed away, but when I first got here, I used to say to him all the time, Dave, I have everything inside your mind. I need what's inside their mind for, for us to get better and for us to relate to the consumer today. And we, it, it means so much. This past year, we were the first autism certified zoo in the entire world. Wow. And we got that certification because of this amazing staff being dedicated to make sure our education and our message gets to every single consumer. So it's easy to lose track of that kind of stuff. So you need people like them to make you better. So you want to have those right people in order to get us where we are today.
0: Amazing. I have so many questions to ask, and I apologize. I'm taking notes while you're talking because you're, you're throwing oh, so okay. much at me, and I love it. This is fantastic. So I, I wrote down a bunch of stuff for us to touch on. Let's take it one step at a time. So going back, first of all, to your, your you step into the zoo, you develop this partnership with the Eagles, And you become the official mascot, so to speak, animal mascot for the Eagles. You take an eagle to the game so that you get exposure. Brilliant, first of all. But um, how did you develop that relationship? Because going back to that time, the zoo is failing. You don't have that partnership in place, I'm assuming. So you come in, you want to innovate, you want to get things back into the black. And you decide that the Eagles partnership, which is brilliant completely, is a good one. How did you bridge that gap?
1: Yeah, so I had to do a little. I had to. I had to do a little test study first. Uh, we actually started with Temple. Temple was a little bit easier. Uh, we have so. Just, just so everybody knows, uh, you know, we have this amazing eagle exhibit. We have uh, nine nine bald eagles on site. We have six in our eagle exhibit. We have two golden eagles in that exhibit as well. Um, but Temple, we also have a, a great horn owl. So Temple was a little bit easier to approach. They both said the same thing. I have to contact the Philadelphia Zoo first because we're in Philadelphia. I got a call back right away for Temple, and we started Stella, the Temple Al. I have to be honest, and I love the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, I joke all the time, and I say I tried so hard to end my career on the sideline of an NFL field, and I got there with a bald eagle from the Elmwood Park Zoo. But Temple – is really where the ball started rolling. Stella is the fifth most popular live mascot in all of sports. Stella the Owl. There's an award named after her called the Stella Award at Temple, where they give out 125 awards to stellar athletes and students. There's a gift shop. Uh, There's two gift shops, uh, convenience stores, on Temple's campus called Stella. There's um, a big statue now of her in the middle of the campus. College students are so passionate They're the perfect demographic to go after. Zoos normally look at young kids to be their their platform. For me, we're looking a lot at at middle school, high school, and college kids because these are the ones that are really ready to start making a difference. So Temple got the ball rolling for us. 273 emails later to the Philadelphia Eagles. I finally got a response back. 273 emails. I got a phone call from a young lady named Amanda uh, who's in her marketing department. Uh, And she says to me, I want to say that the call came probably in June. And she said, I want to make sure we're all set up for August. And I said, Amanda, I'm sorry. I had no idea what you're talking about. And she said, well, you've been emailing us and calling us to be our official live mascot. And we want to do that this year. We just needed to get some things figured out. So we're, we're ready to go now. And I said to her, well, I start when she said August. I said, "Well, why didn't you guys call sooner?" And they said, "Oh, well, the guy that they just got rid of in marketing should have called you back back in February, but since they let him go, it probably the ball got dropped." But can you do it? So we wow. go to every preseason practice. Uh, we're we're on the sideline doing all the practices. We go to we go to draft events with them. We go to uh, anything that Jeffrey Lori does. Uh, But, again, it allows us to change that demographic, get in front of new consumers. And i got to tell you, every time we're down there, it became, oh, this is the Philadelphia Zoo. And then they start seeing the logo. They start seeing the brand. They start hearing the messaging. Our old logo used to have the word zoo in the logo, very similar to that of the Philadelphia zoos. So we had to make up some changes, really work on that branding so we can get the message out that, yes, there's a zoo here in Arstown. We're a 95-year facility, but we, we started with getting that out there. Uh, our relationship with the Philadelphia Eagles is amazing. We have a great relationship with the players. They come out here to the zoo. They do autograph signings. We do alumni uh, very close with Deuce Staley uh, personally, as well as through the business. We had Fletcher Cox out here this past year to do our Wildlife program where he flipped the switch and, and, and fired all that up. So, you know, I'm talking about, you know, and it's a good point right now, especially with the draft behind us. The partnerships are so important to get us to that next level. Yes, we're doing a great job with the consumer, but without convincing the donors to really save the day for the zoo, we couldn't rent these guys back then. We, we, we rented them on, on our dime in the beginning, but once everybody saw how it worked out, Gary Johnson of Taphouse 23 in Bridgeport, he owns a company called Tube Methods and Tube Tech in King of Prussia in Bridgeport, those individuals start to change the day for the zoo. When they wow. start seeing. you know what, I like what these guys are doing, I want to get involved, that's what changes the day. You know, Gary did this exhibit. He sponsors our wild lights. We have an amazing jaguar exhibit that is brought to us by Sharon Vanella. Uh, that jaguar exhibit is the third largest gift to any zoo in the entire country. Wow. It was designed by Disney's Animal Kingdom Architects, and it's right here in Norse It's what, what currently we were, a 16-acre piece of property. We now have a little over 60 acres of land that we're working wow. with. So we're having a lot of fun, and we're growing nicely. So yeah, building those relationship takes a lot of persistence. You know, I'm definitely the squeaky wheel.
0: <laughs> well, you got to be right. You got to get in that door. You you see the the goal on the horizon, and you're just constantly steering towards it, despite what, the direction that the waves kind of shift your game plan, right? <laughs> Um, that's incredible. I, uh, going back, first of all, that's awesome that that you started that with Temple. Uh, as you can see on my screen, I uh, I went to Temple. I'm a huge fan of Temple. My Temple Nalgene bottle. I actually teach at Temple now as well. So you huge, awesome. huge fan of Temple and and uh, lifetime al for sure. So I appreciate that that connection. Now, when you when you built that relationship with Temple, was Part of obviously the relationship in and of itself had a lot of value, but was part of the game plan. Also, maybe this could get me to the Eagles, or was that just kind of secondary as your relationship with Temple evolved? Yeah, so the
1: the Eagles phone call started before the Temple phone call started. Okay. Um, the Eagles just didn't pick it up for a while. You know, <laughs> the 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 Philadelphia Eagles cannot own a bald eagle of their own. They have to go through an accredited establishment to do it. Uh, And we fight a lot sometimes with the marketing of the NFL. For instance, when we're down there, and because we're not a paid partner to the NFL, they don't want us to be able to hand any material out. But in order to bring this bird, they need the education that goes behind it, Or you can't have the bird. The bird can't be used for marketing. It's got to be used for education. The marketing comes with it. The exposure comes with it. So this allows us to touch each and every one of those consumers with our education and our mission. It puts a lot of stress and strain on our team here, not as much on the bird. But I'll tell you what, it, it has opened a lot of doors for us. And, again, it's it's created that relationship. So the Temple one was a little bit easier. And, and, again, college is more open to taking risks and taking chances like that.
0: Now, when you're dealing with an organization like that, like the NFL, which is, to your point, is super restrictive, right? They want to control everything when it comes everything. to anything that's got the NFL label on it. How did you break down that barrier to get past that huge hurdle, I would imagine?
1: Yeah, so the Eagles had to do most of that for us. Um, So uh, Jeffrey Lurie was a big believer. Uh, You know, they're one of the most greenest major league teams uh, Mm -hmm. with their recycle plant, their their solar panels. You know, he believes a lot in conservation. Uh, The Eagles had, and and not to mention that autism thing that we talked about also, Mm -hmm. they had the Mm -hmm. big autism uh, uh, challenge through the Philadelphia Eagles. So they had to do a lot of that. We have to abide by a lot of the rules, but the educational thing they couldn't get around. The NFL also kind of understands it. You know, they're, you know they, they'd they rather see a zoo, uh, an AZA zoo lined up with the Philadelphia Eagles in, instead of some of these other ones that may have an animal on a sideline that's not AZA-accredited establishment. So the NFL was, was real clear. I'll use an example. We had uh, our zoo vans that would drive down to the um, – to the games. And they weren't uh, at the time uh, NFL had a contract with Toyota. They weren't Toyota vehicles. So we couldn't even park them on location, even though it said nothing about the, uh, the Eagles or anything, just uh, the little logo wasn't the NFL partner. So it couldn't even be on location. So there's, you know, there's a lot of restrictions like that. Uh, Then it became your vehicle needs to be a hybrid because of the Eagles relationship. So, again that fits into our mission so we adjust and make those changes
0: very cool very very cool all right so now let's shift more towards going a step further when you join the 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 zoo you do these studies you start to learn about your consumer you're thinking about ways to innovate the product and service offering and you decide that you're going to bring the giraffe exhibit in when the zoo was in the red so a couple of questions related to that. One, I'm, I'm sure it costs a lot of money to bring in giraffes and to make sure that you can feed them the amount of lettuce they need to eat each day and to build the exhibit itself. How did you sell the the stakeholders on this concept of we need to bring in more animals and invest more to get ourselves out of the red versus, you know, let's tighten things up and cut down on the budget?
1: Sure. We, we took a major risk. In doing so, um, our, our board is awesome. Uh, we have a Temple Al who's our board president, uh, Sharifa Howarth, uh, Wendy Rothstein, a local uh, judge, uh, who is a big believer, also a Temple Owl, big believer in the zoo. Um, it was tough to convince them, I think, but uh, if you could say this, we made our money back on the exhibit the first weekend it opened to the public, Memorial Day weekend. We made wow. all the monies that we put out. Build the temporary, build the temporary setup in the first weekend. So anything moving forward from there became a lot easier. I tell any nonprofit uh, doesn't need to be in the zoo world. If you want to get your business out of the red, you have to rent giraffe. You have to find a way to get these guys. <laughs> the biggest credit I could take is that I was willing to take the risk. These guys did all the work. They really did. Wow. They did all the work. Um, And then really working and taking a team and molding them, uh, giving them more leadership, uh, but also purpose, I think is important. You know, when nonprofits aren't doing well or when businesses aren't doing well, you have a tendency of wearing a lot of different hats. Um, You know, so creating the partnerships and really fine-tuning what everybody's responsibility was, I think is what got us moving in the right direction. So it was a risk. They were willing to take it. And then from there on, it was easy to convince the board to do it. And then once you first roll it out, it's easy to get sponsorship for it. And that's where uh, Gary Johnson and the Johnson family stepped up and and made this amazing exhibit for us.
0: Right. So you took a huge risk. But once you've proven that that you've overcome a huge hurdle, you, you almost inherently gain the trust of all your stakeholders after that. Right. They're like, all right, maybe we should get our hands off of this thing and let Al do his thing from here on out.
1: You know, the board had to manage this facility probably daily and weekly here at, at Elmwood because of how bad it was. Uh, once we were able to really get things moving, you know, it, it's, it's kind of easy, right? If you have a message that you believe in and a product that you're passionate in, especially if it's family-oriented or educational-based, I, I have a 12-year-old son People spend a lot of money on their kids and what better way to do it than be educated and in how the world has evolved and changed to where more and more people care about the environment, which they should. But back when I was a kid, they didn't care about it like they do now. So it's exciting to see people get addicted to to these guys and and the messaging. So um, it was easy. It really was. You know, I I don't want to sound conceited with it. They got a great product. It was just about fine-tuning some things and building an awesome team of leadership in donors, board members, staff members, and then our, our, our guests that come here each and every day. Our attendance is unbelievable. Our membership in 20, 2011 was 1,300 members. We have close to 63,000 memberships today wow. compared to 1,300. Wow. It's unbelievable, but unbelievable. it's about making those connections working with companies that you guys are working with. I know Lance Bachman did a program with you guys not too long ago. Right. Lance Bachman is a humongous supporter of Elmwood Park Zoo. You know, I said to him, you know, Lance, I need a new website. And anytime anybody searches, I I joke with him and I tell him that it's the voodoo behind the curtain. But anytime anybody (laughs) searches Elmwood Park Zoo or zoos in, in Philadelphia or zoos near me, I want them to find Elmwood Park Zoo. He helped us put Elmwood Park Zoo on the map. He single-handedly helped us, him and his company, because he was motivated about it. And, you know, we talk about that, and we talk about, you know, how Elmwood Park Zoo helps others. We're one of the few nonprofits that can help each and every other nonprofit. Lance Bachman has a huge belief in supporting battered women and children, especially the children part of it. He's got a background to it. He's got a big belief in it. He talks about it everywhere he goes. To be able to create a platform for kids that are dealing with abuse to come to Elmwood and get away from whatever it is that they have at home or in the back of their mind, he's like, I'm in. If you're going to allow me to keep sending kids to the zoo, I'm in. Uh, you know, so partnerships like that just keep evolving and awesome. adding more and more partners to the zoo. Incredible. Incredible
0: really incredible. And a great segue, because my next question was going to be about how you've managed to collaborate and work with other zoos. You mentioned briefly that you can contact other other AZA accredited zoos fairly easily through that network, which is fantastic. But you're you're in super close proximity to the Philadelphia Zoo, as you've mentioned a couple of sure. times now. How, how do you collaborate with the Philadelphia Zoo? How does the sure. Philly Zoo and the Elmwood Park Zoo work together?
1: Well, I can tell you 100% when I got here, uh, there was an understanding of, you know, we're Montgomery County, Philadelphia zoos in Philadelphia. We're not mm-hmm. going to do any education. We're not going to touch Philadelphia. Everything's got to be elsewhere. Um, there's a lot of consumers out here. This area is so, dense. uh, respectfully. And I have a lot of respect for Victor Juan and his crew over at Philadelphia zoo. They are mm-hmm. amazing. What an amazing establishment. One of my top zoos on my list to go to, you know, there's plenty of consumers. There's plenty of education. We have a different experience. Uh, I'm currently the president of the uh, Pennsylvania Zoological Society, which are all the accredited zoos in Pennsylvania. So all the way out in Pittsburgh, Erie, um, the National Aviary, Lehigh Valley Zoo, not far from here. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we all work together uh, at getting that message out there. Before this was all dictated and ran by the bigger zoos. Now, the smaller zoos, especially those with voices, can can start to move things and start to change things. You know, we're a manageable experience. Even though we own a lot of land, we actually probably own about 20 more acres than that of the Philadelphia Zoo does. But I want to use that land very strategically. As, as, you know, I don't want to become an exhausting, overwhelming experience. We're a zoo and we're a garden. When you walk through, you'll see a lot of beautification. We can get our animals and our education so much closer. But we have to continue to work with each other. Okay, it, it helps with the messaging. It helps with the competitor. You know, you also have to know your competitor. You know, I don't just want to know the zoos, though. I want to know everything that anybody's bringing a family to. I want to know where they're if they're going to the movies. I want to know if they're if they're going bowling. I want to know what educational things they're doing, what museums they're going to. You know, I want to know all of that. And you kind of put it all together. you got to kind of put it all together. You know, we added the zipline course, changed demographics. This past year, we did wild lights. It's our second year running. It lights the zoo for the holiday season, but it extends our season. Wow! Everybody thinks about zoos, especially in this in this area, as Memorial Day to Labor Day. Right. The shoulder months are what's important for the zoo. It really is what we do in the spring and what we do in the fall and the winter is what really makes the day. So right. we are very creative here, and we we cross we we do a lot of crossing over. Philadelphia Zoo added a zip line park out just last year, I believe. They added a wildlife program last year. I think there's um, it's called uh, Zoo Illuminations or something. But I tell you, why not? I'm open for it. You know, we have to work with each other. If I have any question at all, I could shoot one text message to Victor one, and he will pick up a phone because he's he's an honorable individual who wants to see us all do great, and we find a way to make it happen. We work with the with the um, with the aquarium in Jersey. You know, when I first got here. One of the things I wanted to do was to cross over, so we created this land and sea membership. It's really what boosts our membership, but what it did for us was it gave us New Jersey. What it did for them was it gave them Montgomery County, Amazing.
0: because this was yep. an area that
1: normally would go to the Baltimore Aquarium or the Adventure Aquarium. So forming those partnerships and those alliances, I think, are very, very important in anything you do, in anything you do. I think it's incredible it that just you bring to that be, up. Yeah, it, it doesn't just have to be uh, educational or animal-based. You know, we partner with a flower shop. We're doing a Mother's Day uh, thing. Tiffany Moyer of Blooming Affairs. She's a local vendor. You know, obviously we're shut down right now, but we're mm-hmm. doing where we're delivering flowers and candy and educational messages and giraffe kisses to to uh, mothers next month or next yeah next this month. Couple of weeks one, from now, yeah. <laughs> and you got to partner with more than just the zoo world. You got to find partners that, that you can do a lot of in kind trade and different things for exposure. We're getting seven hundred thousand people through here. What business doesn't want to partner with the zoo when they get that kind of exposure? So, partners are the most important piece. Building that network is what's important to be successful. One hundred percent. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't agree off with the you camera more.
1: For one quick second, okay? go for it. Yeah, we'll let's. take a break.
0: No worries. No worries. Go ahead. We're all, we're all set. Got to reload the lettuce. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, it, it, I can't thank you enough for this. I think it's been fantastic just watching them in the background. Even for me, just this, this has been so awesome just to watch I them think in the I, background. I think Super I mentioned cool.
1: in the beginning, I don't know if we were on yet, about the cameos we're doing with these guys. I mean, so go ahead and offices, mention them again. Yeah. So many offices are now being stuck, you know, on the Zoom meetings, on the Skype meetings. And Lightening it up a little bit. You know, we really took off. It was on uh, Good Morning America last week. It really took off with bring your kids to work. So Mm -hmm. we do cameos, but we'll sit here with an iPad. We'll educate. But while everybody's in there, it kind of lightens the mood, gets people, you know, relieves the uh, anxiety a little bit. These guys are so healing uh, with what they do and how they connect. You know, one of the main reasons why we started reaching out to the Philadelphia Eagles, and I don't want to bring up uh, I don't want to bring up bad press at this point in time, but I guess you kind of have to. Sure. When the Philadelphia Eagles partnered with Michael Vick, the Philadelphia Eagles got a lot of bad press about Michael Vick and, and what was going on with that situation. And there has been a right. lot of efforts to uh, to clear that up, to, to really educate people on the, on the makeup of where Michael Vick came from and all that. But when you stand behind a conservation item like these guys, it's a perfect segue from where you were struggling uh, with, the, with the media, from going from horrible news to partnering with a facility like the Elmwood Park Zoo, where not only the money you're contributing to help us, you're also contributing a lot of resources that go right into conservation,
0: Absolutely incredible and awesome. Did you, what part of the discussion were you in that space? Did they, did the Eagles reach out to you and say, Hey, we got to do something about this or did you reach out to the Eagles or was it kind of, you were in the same no. space and it just happened? No,
1: I think in that matter uh, a lot of times they don't talk about that stuff, but you know, I have no problem talking about it. I think they need <laughs> to know it in order to, to, to get with it. So we do this program here in the zoo uh, where we, we, we hire local actors Uh, from the Narsetown Arts Hill, and uh, we bring them into the zoo, and we have them dressed as regular consumers. They may push a stroller or whatever, but they are actors. They work with our our educators and our keepers to where they may stand in front of the exhibit, and they may say, you know what, Uh, when the keeper's giving a talk about a jaguar, they may say, you know what, I don't like seeing an animal in a cage. You have 25 people in front of that exhibit, and you have this actor who's saying something that people don't want to talk about. So they say, oh, you know what? I don't like zoos. You know, I'm bringing my kid here, but I don't like zoos. I don't like seeing animals in cages. So it gives that keeper the opportunity to educate that individual as well as that whole group on what the AZA is all about and why that animal is in this exhibit in Elmwood Park Zoo. It's talking about the things that people don't normally want to talk about, but that's how you change things. That's how you educate people. So at right when the, the uh, tension gets the tension gets mounted up and everybody's all arguing back and forth about why Elmwood's great versus why zoos aren't great, all the actors turn around and they hand out a card, a five-by-seven card that says Elmwood Park Zoo supports the arts here in Arstown. And on the back, it talks about the AZA and what the mission is in education. Wow. There's 230 AZA-accredited establishments across the, across the country. When you walk into these zoos, You don't necessarily know you're walking into an AZA establishment. The AZA and the zoos can do a better job of telling our consumers why we exist. We're doing a master plan right now. It's about why are they here, why are we here, and then why are you here as the consumer? And that is the right questions to ask. Our director of operations came up with that, Eric Dunneman. That is the right questions to ask. That's the right questions to ask because it's what makes the difference. So no, we brought to the Philadelphia Eagles that there's a stigma around the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, partnering with Michael Vick. Let's let's fix it with animal care. Let's fix it with conservation. And it it evolved. It necessarily wasn't the topic of conversation at the at the time, right. but
0: it, it finally did it finally did resonate. I think that's incredible. I mean, talk about thinking outside of the box to come up with the idea of what's the stigma associated with zoo animals and and how do we show people that we're not a part of that, that we're doing something to to make a change, that we're a part of the AZA to get that messaging out. And to come up with this idea of, hey, let's hire local actors to, to sort of be in the crowd and ask the questions that people are thinking but nobody is asking, brilliant. How did you guys come up with that? What was the process of just evolving that concept?
1: Uh, honestly, I think that one came to me. Uh, our former curator had talked about, you know, trying to find ways to educate people on it. You know, part of that survey was educating our consumers and finding out what they know. And when we found out that they didn't really know what the AZA was, uh, we wanted to try to, you know, you could put as many signs as you want in front of an exhibit, but unless you bring it to them and you bring it to them in an impactful manner, right. they don't retain it. Right. So um, it was a way that we, we came up with it. It's no different than uh, street theater or street performers. Uh, Elwood Park Zoo this year just partnered with the center of theater in Narsetown, uh, which we're really excited about because we're going to going to start moving our consumers from the zoo down to town. Right. We're, um, when things open back up and restrictions get lifted, we're scheduled this year to do Pinocchio, Tarzan, and A Christmas Cow. So uh, it'll be a, a partnership. We have a beautiful trolley that we bought to kind of move people around. So, again, another partnership, not only with the theater but with the town. Um, and and we're, we're producing those shows uh, completely, uh, getting sponsorship for them. But, again, this is a theater that Mark Twain performed in and was closed down
0: for a number of years and now is finally coming back and we want to get behind it and try to really take it to that next level. Amazing, amazing. And I, I love your propensity for collaboration and relationship building and focusing on the relationship before you even think about you know the transactions or the outcomes or whatever. Amazing, amazing, brilliant. Where did you get that from, you think? What, what instilled that in you? Where did you find that more collaborative spirit? Well, I think that's a great question. Uh, actually, I, I
1: think the answer to that, I stumbled upon it. When I when I had the catering company at Jeffersonville Golf Club, I was busting my butt, waking up at two o'clock or sorry, going to bed at two o'clock in the morning, waking up at four thirty, wow. working all day. I was the, I was the chef, I was the uh, the salesman, I was the guy setting the room up, the whole nine yards. I catered a um, I catered a funeral for a doctor who fell off his roof down the shore. He oh. was renovating his roof. And he had fallen off a ladder and he had died. And his wife was a younger uh, woman, foreign, not from the area. And she she called me up and she said to me, Al, I've never been to a catered event in the United States other than what you have. Can you help me with his funeral? So I did. I got her a transportation company. I got her, uh, you know, everything that she needed, got her all linked together. The doctor's kids, uh, the doctor was a little bit older than she was. The doctor's kids went to school down in in Myrtle Beach area. So there was like a big disconnect. So I helped her out. About three years later, she calls me up and she says to me, hey, so-and-so's, her late husband's daughter is getting married in Myrtle Beach. She doesn't know anything about it. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't want to get taken advantage of. There's plenty of money set aside for it. But what does she do? Tony, I did the entire thing from my office at Jeffersonville Golf Club. I booked rehearsal dinners. I booked dress fittings. I booked limousines. And at the end of the day, I spent about, when I logged all my hours for billing, I spent about maybe eight hours of actual work for a course of a year doing everything from home, only stepped foot down there one time just to coordinate some things. And I made a lot more money than killing myself. Wow. So, I started to say to myself, you know what? I have to build this network. I have to build, I have to do it locally. So, what I did was I branched out and I took uh, Stephen Starr, for instance. Mm-hmm. Stephen Starr didn't know it at the time, but people would want to do a night out in the city for a 40th birthday. I would rent a limousine from a limousine company, I would book one of Stephen Starr's restaurants because he had multiple uh, mm-hmm. different flavors. And I would send these clients and I would get a percentage based on a management fee. But I would get a percentage even based from the limousine company where you may rent, you know, one car a year from a limo company. I'm renting 30 cars a month off the same limo company. So I started to build this network of support system. And you know what? That that saying where, you know, if you you screw something up, that person will tell eight people if you have bad service. That's a true thing, right? Well, the difference is when I'm booking 30 events off the same limo company, they, they want to really make sure they're stepping up. Because in a sense, I'm a marketing arm for them. I'm a sales arm for them. You know, we do it all the time, even in our sponsorships here at the zoo, um, in, in, in different ways to, to, you know, increase sponsorships. You know, we, we create those partnerships. So building that network. And then I, I had the conversation. I called her name, was Tracy she worked uh, in Stephen Starr's office. I called Tracy up and I said, Tracy, listen, I've sent about a hundred thousand dollars worth of business to Stephen Starr's restaurants in the first quarter of the year. I want a percentage when I book under zone entertainment. You know, I want you to give the discount off the bill and I want it to come directly to me because I'm selling for you. And in the beginning it didn't happen, but then it started to happen. So really building those partnerships is something that I I think it it all started from that tragedy, but it, it built from there. And then, I'm looking at it and I was able to work a lot smarter mm-hmm. than working so hard because I was really exhausting myself. Right. Really trying to find ways to clip back on some of the overhead and really push out um, you know the experiences and, 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 and different things.
0: That's really interesting. So that's how I think it started. Really, really interesting. And thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think there's a lot a lot to that as well, because your background is very diverse also. So you bring a, a such a unique perspective. To all of the things that you've done, even in the catering and entertainment world, the, your team-focused mentality, your propensity for collaboration, for helping other people out first, and then kind of collecting on the back end. Brilliant. So when you came to the zoo, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, and, and I want to touch on it because I think it's a, a very valuable lesson to those who are listening you came into the zoo, obviously the zoo is kind of into the red. You said a lot of the people that were there had say 16 years or so of experience working with the zoo. How did you begin to shift their mindset into this we are a a consumer driven product? Yes, we're passionate about animals and conservation, but we really you you mentioned that a lot of the zoo People in the zoo world think I love animals. That's why I work for a zoo because I don't like working with people to begin with. And you got to shift that mindset that they have to start thinking about that. How did you do that?
1: So I'm going to say one thing right before I answer that question. Yeah, you know, and it re- relates back to the catering. Uh, when I interviewed for the job here, um, Wendy Rolfstein, uh, Judge Rolfstein, she said to me, and she's been a long time Norstonian. She's been a, uh, a board member here for 11 years. She said to me, how can a caterer run a zoo? And my answer to her is everything you do in business and in life is catering. If you think it's catering as food on a plate, you miss the whole meaning of the word. Yep. Everything is experiential. Everything is catering. You're catering to your listeners. You're catering to the people that work for you. You're catering to your family at home constantly. Yep. You're constantly catering getting that message out there making sure so yes i had those football coaches that had that one style of coaching but in order to be successful today you need to have the style of each and every one of what i call our receivers the people that we're trying to give the message to so it took a lot of convincing but the progress is what really makes it happen when they start to see the results it's what makes things happen you know it doesn't it doesn't ha- it didn't happen overnight but I I am truly a leader, and I think being a leader, being, you know, making decisions and sticking by those decisions are what's important. You can't, you can't waver. You can't, you know, the the team is looking for decision makers. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think it it worked out. When I got here, I had no problem, you know, taking the reins and being um, under. Standing and talking to the people as to why I want to do something. You know, when I, would, when I would bring up to our curator that I want to try to do this, right away our curator said, no, no, you can't do it. So I would send that email in the listserv, and I would come back to him and say, wait a minute, there's seven other zoos doing it. Why can't we do it? Now, we do things that others don't do. right? You know, we're the only zoo in the country that hand feeds bison, where you can stand there with lettuce and hand feed a bison, which is just as amazing wow. as this. Wow. But once you start looking at one thing and seeing how it works – how do you put it into other aspects? Creating an experience. Once we started to create the experience, it's easier for the consumer to learn. It's easier for the the, the person that's buying the product to want to buy more of the product because they're engaged. So it was about showing them results, standing by those decisions. We don't always succeed. Right. You know, we, we I've had a number of losses. I've had a number of businesses that have struggled. You know, um, it, it's it's tough. Right, but. Being willing to get back on the horse after you fall off, I think, is what's important. Um, you know, and, and and having a team that supports you. You know, they interviewed 38 candidates for the director and CEO position here at the zoo. I didn't even apply. I was solely an interim director. I only thought I was here for the, the short period until they found somebody. And then these amazing keepers wrote letters to our curator and to our board of directors that we've not only cleared up some debt, we built a new parking lot, we have added new exhibits, we've we've created morale and team team building. Let's talk to Al. If you asked me 11 years ago if I'd be running a zoo today, I'd tell you you were crazy. <laughs> but you know, I think you got to keep your options open, right? You know, you got to you know got to really if you're in business and you're in management and leadership. You can, you can pick that individual up, and if they're strong at what they do, you should be able to put that individual in many different things, and they can still do the same thing.
0: That's incredible. So you were the interim director. You're basically the Steve Jobs of the zoo world. I don't know if I'd say that. <laughs> I don't want to sound too conceited. We the I'll say it haircut, for you. I'll say it for you. No I worries. To,
1: I don't want to say that. You know, I do believe in the experiences, though. Yeah. The weddings, you mentioned uh, about your wife, we do a lot of weddings yep. here at the zoo. Mm-hmm. You do a lot of things to subsidize when that gate closes. Memorial Day to Labor Day is when the floodgates are open. Even though we do a lot on the shoulder months, there's still a hard stop when those consumers aren't there. Mm-hmm. And it costs a lot of money to take care of these guys every day. Yep. So we have to be creative as directors, as team leadership. We have to listen to our staff to bring new ideas back. And that's what I think continues to make Elmwood Park Zoo successful is the fact that we're willing to adjust and, and, and change. When I first started my catering company, I wanted to cater anything that anybody wanted. You have those caterers that have their set books, and this is my menu, and this is what I do. And if you want to do this, it's, it's a big change order. MTV and your, your, uh, the Sweet 16 events and then your, your weddings where everybody's watching weddings, everybody's constantly trying to one-up somebody. If you just stay stagnant and have a product that's not willing to evolve, mm-hmm. you lose. You can't, we, we cannot be the same zoo as everybody else. Right. We have to find something different that makes you want to come to Elmwood Park Zoo.
0: That's brilliant. The, the diversification, the constant focus on, you know, there's a subtext there about what you were just saying. And I think it's part of your entire message. You're extremely focused on on what your, your end consumer wants and what they're looking for, both from a demographics perspective, but I think also from a psychographics perspective, you're constantly thinking about what do they want? What can we do more of? How can we diversify ourselves in comparison? So when you're constantly evolving to that degree and constantly innovating your business model, how do you keep, uh, obviously, you know, so the successes help, as you mentioned, but how do you keep people invested in your constant innovation and constant progress focused mindset. It must be difficult at times, right?
1: So we have a message that is consistent, that underlines underneath everything we do, and that's the zoo's mission, right? So the conservation and education uh, for these guys is, is is number one and foremost. All of those other things that we spur off at, they're revenue sourcing items that will then fund back to, to build a 30-foot-tall barn or to better an exhibit or even make a donation abroad uh, or, or to a, a another country's Jaguar Preserve. Mm-hmm. Constantly trying to find you know ways that, that we can contribute. You know, uh, during the whole shutdown, our team's sitting around and our uh, director of guest services, she comes up with, you know what, why don't we do Easter baskets for sale because there's no Easter. And then our director of operations says, why don't we have the Easter bunny deliver the, deliver the baskets. Awesome. We sold over 700 of these Easter baskets. We made more money out of our gift shop closed than we did last year in April (laughs) when it was open. Wow. And it's because of team members that are willing to be creative. Right. And, and, and put that idea out there. We're only as good as our next idea. We really are. But what stays consistent is the education and conservation. And the better we do, the better we can help fuel
0: that machine. Awesome, so you're giving your your team a lot of opportunity to use their creativity, to use their, their focus on that underlying core value and mission. Is there anything that you say no to out of the gate? And if so, what's the sort of litmus test for a yes or no if somebody brings you an idea?
1: So yes, we definitely say no. Um, I think everything needs a full valuation. I had a, uh, you know, in everybody's makeup, when they're when they're growing up, when they're in business, uh, I think experience is so important, not just books, experience, and education, but what you do. When I worked at uh, Jeffersonville Golf Club, the property at the time was uh, owned and operated, and still is owned and operated by the township of West Norton. Mm-hmm. And what those individuals brought to me, was um, there was a director there, his name was Joe Hine. And Joe Hine said to me, you know, I, I, well, at his retirement party, I said to Joe, I said, Joe, you would always say no to me first. You would always say no to me. Why? And he said, well, because you wouldn't stop. And you would keep <laughs> coming back to me and keep trying to to tweak it and then represent this idea to me. And then once that took off, you know, I said to him, so why would you say no? He said, because the harder you worked at getting it to work, the more passionate I knew you were going to be to make it a success. Wow. So that's why that worked out. Wow. Tony, I think I'm going to have to walk a little bit with you if that's sure. okay. Yeah, I would love to. I have to. another group coming up to do another cameo with Sounds these good. guys Sounds for good, a, Yeah, a business. All right? Let's relocate. So I'm going to walk with you a little bit. Sounds good. Right? Sounds good. So what's behind me here is the largest open-air bald eagle exhibit in the country. Wow. Um, I I mentioned to you earlier how many eagles are in the exhibit. You can get real close to them. There's no barrier. That's incredible. See this guy here? So all these eagles are injured. Um, For instance, the eagle's official live mascot, uh, he's blind in his right eye. He's fully flighted, but he can't fly uh, because of – I'm going to set this up right here. Sure. He can't fly because he fell out of his nest when he was born. Oh, man. man. So, so we got the eagle exhibit back there, but this is probably a good spot.
0: Awesome. Thank you. So how do you keep them? Are their wings clipped? Or And I apologize for my ignorance. No, so you keep none, of the,
1: them? none of the eagles are clipped to stay in their exhibit. They're all injured. Uh, one got caught in barbed wire. Another awesome. one got uh, hit by a hunter. So they're all they're all injured. They can't fly. Uh, we get a lot of wild ball eagles that'll fly in the exhibit too, which is really awesome. That's cool. Um, so no, uh, we don't we don't clip them to keep them in.
0: Okay, interesting, very interesting, super cool though. Um, Not right. to mention, there's a lot of free food in there. <laughs> Getting, they know where they're getting they know where they're getting their meals exactly right that keeps them motivated to keep right. coming back super cool All right so now looking at COVID-19 obviously the <coughs> zoo is has to be maintained as you pointed out and it's it's expensive to maintain and fortunately before we we recorded this we talked on the phone and you mentioned to me that you've had a lot of collaborative partners that have helped out a lot we'll mention those in a second but how are you currently dealing with it are you going to the zoo literally every single day, seven days a week, to make sure that the animals are okay? Or what's your process for keeping things alive and functioning?
1: Yes, so we are an essential business. Uh, The USDA has these animals' care as essential, Mm -hmm. which is great. So uh, I personally am not coming here seven days a week. Uh, I'm still coming in, uh, touching base as much as I can. Uh, our keepers are here seven days a week, though, and they they are overlapping and they're not. Um, you know, they're they're keeping their social distances, but we have seven day a week care here all the time. We have twenty four hour security all the time. People are still crazy. Uh, right. People want to do things where they you right. know you got to make sure we keep these guys days a week because they're putting up ideas, for fulfilling uh, purchases. Uh, when it first hit, we sold over a hundred thousand dollars worth of memberships in wow. March. Wow. Over a 100,000 memberships in the month of March because, again, people care about the zoo and they wanted to show their their, their support. Okay. Uh, we have the emergency fund that was just set up. It's on our website. Our director of development set it up. That has generated over a $100,000. Donations. Uh, we just got Quest for the Best made a matching donation for the month of May. They're going to match all donations coming in in the month of May. They're going to give us a match for it. It's things like that that can help. Help this
0: continue. Awesome, really, really awesome. Now, what does the future look like for the Elmwood Park Zoo? I'm sure that, and I apologize for bringing this up if it's a stressful topic, but uh, I'm sure people uh, want to know what What are we looking at whenever the zoo reopens to the public? What's the quote unquote new normal that you guys are thinking about, and how are you going to be dealing with bringing people back into the zoo but keeping them safe?
1: You know, one hundred percent, it's not a tough. Tough thing to talk about. I I told you earlier, I'm the guy that likes to talk about the tough topics. Yep. Um, We have to do it. We have to find a way to be responsible. So our director of operations, along with our guest service team, our marketing team, uh, are putting together great parameters uh, for social distancing. We'll slowly roll it out. We're also working with all the other zoos in PA Mm -hmm. so we can have a similar message, uh, which is also being checked and balances against the uh, AZA. So it's a well-thought-out plan. But we're in the middle of a master plan right now. It'll be rolled out in another couple months. We have new exhibits that are on the horizon. We have a tiger exhibit that is fully funded. We have wow. a bridge to cross us over to the other side of the creek. We have an education center. We have a vet hospital and a new entrance plaza that we have to build. So we're going to look at this as a, as a little bit of a bubble that, it's, that it is. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be very aggressive in figuring out ways to move past this. Um, we're not going to let... You know, COVID-19 shut us down. Uh, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna find out a way. We had to tweak a lot of things. We had to make adjustments with our right. staffing. Right. Um, we had to jockey some things around. You know, the goal is to uh, to to make a profit or break even. We know we're not going to hit numbers that we're going to hit. I can tell you what, we're going to work very hard to still get at the same numbers, even with the three-month shutdown.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Or slow down. If anyone can, I'm convinced that you can. That's for sure. Um, What about the, the, and this is partially me, but I'm sure a lot of other people are curious. I've been really curious about how all forms of entertainment are going to be dealing with this. Because I think restaurants, for example, catering businesses, event venues that do weddings, are going to have a tough time dealing with this, and if you don't have a plan, totally cool, no worries. I don't mean to put any pressure on you or to sure. put you on the spot. But do you have a plan or an idea of how you bring that side of the business back, and what what that looks yeah, like? Yeah, so we're
1: we're gonna look at that stuff, Terry. There's a reason why I uh, own a catering company and not a restaurant. Is uh, <laughs> you know the catering the catering stuff still going to happen? Right, people will still find ways to get married. We'll still have to cater to those events. The restaurant business is going to take a little bit bigger of a hit, especially the smaller restaurants that right. can't pack as many people in. Right. Um, but I think even the restaurants are being creative. Um, there'll be a time we're going to go. We'll, we'll follow the guidelines that are being put in front of us, and we'll figure it out. There's going to be a time where those where those gates open back up, right. and and we'll be fine. Right. Um, you know, a lot of our events have slid their schedules. Uh, we're going to do the, We've already done the same thing, so uh, we'll, we'll tweak it. Schools are going to come back and if they don't, we're going to do it virtually until they do. Right. We're going to find ways to, to, to get everybody back into, into the norm. Right. I don't want to necessarily say that this is the new normal. It may be the new normal for a short period of time, but I do believe that we have to try very hard as a country to get back to normal.
0: Brilliant, brilliant, and great message. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Awesome. Well, Al, thank you so much for your time and for the valuable information that you've provided with us. With I do have a couple of questions more so about your mindset and how you would approach uh, some of the the uh, the things that other businesses are are maybe facing. Um, what's one of the biggest failures that you've experienced professionally or personally or in your entrepreneurial journey and how did you overcome that and focus back on how, how to become successful again?
1: I think you always have to have a plan. Um, When I was at Jeffersonville golf club, uh, Jeffersonville golf club, I had owned the contract, the municipality had owned the property um, and at Jeffersonville, I was uh, putting a lot of money into a product that I didn't necessarily own the the real estate behind it. And as commissioners changed, they had different philosophies mm-hmm. as to how they wanted to do things. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of eggs in that basket. If it wasn't for me getting and seeing the writing on the wall and starting to branch out into that hospice, into the zoo, into the, the cafe over at King of Prussia, if I didn't start to do that, I would have been completely completely, uh, sunk when I got out of Jeffersonville. Right. Um, so that was probably the, I I think my biggest thing is keeping options open. Um, I do think that mostly all of our degrees are very, very broad and can be used in a lot of different ways. What you're learning in your background and your makeup can be used in different, in in different ways. Mm -hmm. So I'm constantly looking at where I can add my insight or my experiences to make a business better um, and I think the best way you make a business better is by making your, your, your employees and your product better. Uh, once you master that, the rest is kind of easy um, because, again, it becomes addicting and people want it as long as it's consistent and it's, it's strong.
0: Brilliant. So to that end, to what you just mentioned, how, what's your, let's say, top three best practices for getting your employees up to the level of quality that you need them to be to execute at that level that you're talking about?
1: Sure. Um, I think most businesses always struggle with the word communication. Uh, I think it's the hardest word in any business, uh, in life, in anything. It's always communication, right? You know, um, so I think really focusing on that, not giving into it. Not giving into the fact that it is hard. Focusing on trying to get the communication and the transparency better. Um, you know, you got to have a lot of those tough conversations. I think sometimes people will always want to hear them, but I'm willing to, to do that. Um, you know, we, we work a lot with local municipalities and government. So there's a lot of walls that are put up. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the kind of guy that tries to push through those walls and constantly try to, you know, to get through all the red tape. Um, so I, they're, they're probably my biggest, my biggest things is really focus on your employee, be good to your employee, build the morale for the employee. If the employee cares about you, they're going to do the right things for you. There's always those step backs that happen or where that employee may fall into a rut. I think it's important is uh, for us as leaders that we have to try to find a way to connect and manage that individual. Uh, if you can't, you know, sometimes you have to make changes, uh, right. but for the most part, you want to make all the efforts you can to utilize whatever strengths that individual brings to the table.
0: Right. Not surprised. I mean, you said it earlier that when you're in catering, you're catering to everyone, including your employees and other stakeholders. So not surprised that you take that approach. It's, it's right. your same client fo- focused, employee focused approach to, to dealing with people in general to build relationships, right? Um, yep. Yeah, awesome. Uh, thanks again for your time. I think this was awesome, awesome, awesome episode and visually I really, really entertaining. It. And, and I hope that people get a lot out of this. If people want to collaborate with the Elmwood Park Zoo, what's the best way to reach out and to get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, through our, through our website, uh, elmwoodparkzoo.org uh, is, our, is our best way. All of our social media outlets. Um, our team's working very hard to get our video content out there. We had a, a a goat video where we let our goats play in the playground. It's had over half a million views. Uh, so all of that is fine. Um, you know, I I can be found through the website as well uh, with my email and and a number to get directly to my office. So, uh, elmwoodparkzoo.org is the best way to get in touch with us.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Thanks again, Al. This was absolutely incredible. Thanks for your time. Bernie, thank you. Thanks for letting us do the, uh, the video,
1: I think it's important. I know there's a lot of podcasts, and it's, it's easy to do it on the, on, the, on the phone, but adds a little dynamic, especially when everybody's locked in. Definitely so does. So I much. mean,
0: I found it super interesting.
1: And keep up the great work. Uh, I love everything you're doing. Thanks, Al. I appreciate it. Take care.